I go buy a bag of hauls and the, the individual little things, and I put them in my pockets. And so no matter what sport coat I've got on or what uh, backpack I'm carrying, I've got all these hauls in there. And then um, I get better and I forget about it. And then I reach in there and there's these hauls that have, you know, become old and now they're sticky and you can't actually get the wrapper off them. And it's like, yeah. And then I end up throwing away an entire fistful at a time whenever I stick my hand in my pocket. It's hard to be me. Oh, yeah, that sounds just horrific, Carl. Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchek, James Kernan, Amy Luby, and Carl Palachuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts technology community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Welcome to the illness edition of SMB Community Podcast. This is Amy Babinchak. I'm quite sick. Amy Luby is out sick, and Carl Palachuk is joining me today. And I'm not sick. I, I just have never-ending allergies. So. <laughs> so as I told Carl earlier, I'm wearing my headphones. You can all hear my illness in full fidelity. <laughs> Both ears. <clears throat> Stereo. That's that's right. Yeah. So clearing my throat and coughing and whatever. It's just, it's, it's a fact of life, man. Uh, you said something you wanted to talk about TikTok. I, I, I've never heard of anything interesting about TikTok, at least. <laughs> I think TikTok is, you know, they're having a bit of a crisis. They need to try to save themselves, at least from the U.S. market. I don't know how the rest of the world feels about TikTok, but the U.S. loves to have an enemy, and so our current new enemy is China, and TikTok is associated with China. But I did just so that, you know, there's this movement. It may get, end up getting banned nationwide, which would be really interesting if the federal government decided to take that move, see if that actually happens in Congress. I know it's being bantered about, but TikTok came out with uh, an announcement to protect children from TikTok, from too much TikTok. And so they're putting in a 60-minute default time limit for anybody under 16. And if you disable that as a 16-year-old, then it limits you to um, 100, 100 uh, minutes. And then so, if... Um, this and is then it, from China? China's yeah, doing... Yes, this is from TikTok itself. Um, and then if, uh, if you're under 13 your use of the app is limited to 60 uh, to uh, 60 minutes and it cannot be turned off. And and how do they know that your age? Do you have to register with your age? Yeah, you do. You oh. do have to register with your age because it does some content filtering for minors. Well, I think <laughs> it's just me. And again, I really am an old man, but I think all social media should be limited to 30 minutes or something like that. You know, people who spend their time doing just that are probably not productive members of society at any age. Yeah, I haven't looked at TikTok in a while, um, but, you know, I did sort of when it first became a thing. And um, I just found it to be fun entertainment, nothing obnoxious at all. But you know, with all social media things, I think if you're looking for the obnoxious stuff, you can find it. Um, but what I found on TikTok was a lot of people shooting um, quick little gardening tips and photography tips and stupid little dances. And 
probably because that's the dances were there by default and the other stuff is what I actually yeah, looked for. I, I'm not making a content uh, comment on the content. I, you know, it's all fun and, and playful and delightful and so forth, but uh, just, you know, like how long would you read a book if you were going to sit and read a book? How long would you watch TV? You know, when I hear these stats that people watch like eight hours of TV, I'm like, how is that even possible? Right. So, you know, you got to do something in your life. And uh, so anyway, that's just that's just me. I, I make a living by doing things. So I'm um, I'm not sure how people survive if they sit on social media for eight hours a day. Yeah, I don't I don't know that either. And, you, you know, your iPhone gives you this screen time um, report every week telling and it gives you alerts if your screen time has gone above your average. and. Right. and whatnot. So my total screen time is usually something like four hours, um, which is significant, but I use it. I, I use my phone for email and, and LinkedIn and a lot of stuff that I don't bother to do on my computer anymore. I just four, use four my phone for it. A week or four hours a day? Four hours a day. Oh, well, I mean, I, I don't think I'm close to that because I primarily use it. I do. I do check text messages, and I uh, I, I do use it for two factor authentication. Uh, that's primarily it. Yeah, see, I find that it's my like go to thing for email, Facebook, LinkedIn, even Teams. A lot of times, so I I use it as a mini computer. Ah, uh, see, I I definitely don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I have signed up for a new dentist and they want you to fill out this long entry form that's repetitious and stupid. Um, and they wanted me to fill it out on my phone. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going to live long enough to do that. So uh, is there a, an actual website? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. We can do that. But I think the phone has become the default for many people. But um, for me, you know, I text with one finger. And probably on a phone, I, I probably type one word a minute. So, uh, and, and when I see people do that, you know, with the thumbs and go, it's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. My typing is definitely much more error prone and Siri is horrible at autocorrect. So, you know, when you get emails from me and it's full of typos, that's why. Right. It chooses words that I have no idea how it got there from what I was typing, but... Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'm shocked at the words that it, you know, it's like, no, no, yeah. no, I, I don't talk like that. Like, <laughs> right. Not in public anyway. Mark your calendars and plan to be with us May 17th and 18th as we bring you the 2023 SMB Online Conference. Check us out at smbonlineconference.com. You'll find we have more than a dozen speakers and two days filled with presentations, plus a format that really works for online conferences. Save $100 by registering today at smbonlineconference.com. Hi, this is Carl, and I'm here with Brian Mahone from EHD Insurance. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, I, in my other life, I, uh, for my sins, I am the executive director of the National Society of IT Service Providers. You have joined there, not just as a member, but as a vendor partner, supporting them at a higher level. 
And so thank you from, from that, wearing that hat. I thank you for that. Um, and I want to find out more about what EHD insurance does and why you are, I guess, IT-centric or uh, IT service provider focused and, you know, sort of why would an insurance company do that? Sure. So EHD insurance is a, a, a regional uh, player based out of Pennsylvania, an independent insurance agency, right? So in our world, there's kind of, the, it's a David and Goliath scenario. You have your, your mom and pop uh, state farm agencies. And on the other hand, you have, you know, these publicly traded uh, powerhouses, the Aon, the Marshes, and the Gallagher's. And when it comes to technology and, and MSPs, uh, the smaller guys, you know, don't really know what they're talking about. They don't understand the intricacies of cyber liability and technology errors and missions. Uh, they're, they're writing, you know, Main Street America businesses, your churches and your restaurants and your libraries. And that's all well and good. And they have a place. And then on the other end, you know, these larger, um, I'll call them brokerages, they have technology uh, specialists, right? They, they, they get it. Uh, they have special training. They have special relationships with carriers and underwriters. Uh, but they're kind of bound by c commissions, to be honest. They're working with the Apples and Googles of the world. So we're uh, kind of in that happy middle where I actually graduated from uh, an insurance carrier, Chubb, and, and Carnegie Mellon's CyberCope Insurance Certification Program. And uh, I'm situated in a, in a small business role here at EHD Insurance and really act as um, a, a cyber insurance counselor for MSPs but also as a cyber liability specialist uh, in-house for our insurance agents and their clients and, and prospects. So this is one of these areas where I know what every word means until you put it into an insurance <laughs> policy, right? Right. <laughs> right. So for me, what's the difference? You said cyber insurance and then you said cyber liability. Is there a difference between those two? Uh, I use those terms interchangeably, I guess, the important differentiation MSPs need to understand is, um, I always say technology errors and emissions is to an MSP what workers' compensation is to a roofer, right? It's, it's where the premium is, it's where the risk is, it's where the attention should be. And technology errors and emissions, you might heard here it referred to as tech E-N-O, uh, is, is really kind of like malpractice insurance for technology service providers. Right. Uh, cyber liability or cyber insurance, you might have heard of it referred to as you know, data breach coverage or whatever, a lot of different terminology there. Those That's designed for consumers of technology, so a lot of MSPs clients. That being said, though, uh, when these claims come to fruition, a lot of MSPs should have a policy that includes tech, you know, and, and what we call first-party cyber insurance bundled together. So, so we need both of those tech E and L. That's the basics. That sort of you get to show up for work. <laughs> and then, yeah. does everybody need cyber liability, or only those who are managing backups or you know have have promised disaster recovery services? Honestly, I'd more lean towards answering that question. Is everybody needs cyber liability insurance? I mean, you know, I work for an insurance agency. We have a agency management system. Uh, piece of software where we do business. We communicate with our clients. We have their driver's license information. We're getting quotes from insurance carriers. We have their financials. So if that system were to go down, we're sitting duck, just like a, 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 your local uh, primary care physician probably has an 
ERP and enterprise uh, resource planning software, uh, uh, healthcare, entity-wise uh, piece of software where if something happened there. So there's there's this theme of kind of relying on technology. So if you're relying on technology in your day-to-day operations, or if you're just collecting a ton of data, when I say a ton of data, a lot of these cyber insurance carriers or privacy attorneys will say it's you know PHI, personal health information, PII, identifiable information, or personal financial information. So those are kind of you know, the two things you've got to watch out for, you know, are you relying on technology? If so, what? And B, uh, are you collecting data? And if so, how much and what kind? Right. So with uh, small IT service providers, so you're saying I should not probably, I'll be, I'll be very careful. <laughs> I won't put words in your mouth. I should probably not buy my uh, cyber liability insurance from the guy I met at my local networking group, uh, down the street. Um, so what is it that you provide? What what knowledge or, um, I guess, products do you provide that that person does not? Yeah, under underneath the EHD insurance, I've actually built out a site uh, called www.insuranceformsps.com. And what I noticed in the marketplace was there's a lot of one-size-fits-all products out there. Um, there. There's one named TechRub, there's one through the MSP Alliance, and they're what I call programs, where if if you fit, you get in and you get their kind of uh, bare bones coverage with a, a lower premium, but it's not really custom to you. Um, so when I develop this website, it's it's more of a brokerage real relationships with 10 plus uh, tech E&O cyber insurance carriers that, that specialize in small business and technology, where you can compare and contrast and see which makes sense for you because you know, what is good for, I don't know, a larger, maybe five, $10 million revenue MSP isn't great for the one-man operation. And geography plays a role too, or uh, your claims history can play a role. And some of the services you're providing and, and the industries you're providing it to could play a role in how it's underwritten too. You know, oh, you know, I'm an MSP where all of my clients are in legal and finance, and I'm an MSP where, you know, it's more... Well, construction or retail or professional services. There's different uh, risks to servicing those industries from a cyber perspective. The one thing I would say is, you know, three, four, five years ago, the insurance industry loved MSPs. They were looked at as, you know, low risk, you know, low premiums. They put them on the books and nothing really happened. And then really with COVID, uh, everybody went to go work from home and uh, became more vulnerable. MSPs got you know, bogged down with more tickets than usual. And uh, these threat actors, hackers, whatever you want to call them, uh, really, really boomed in, in phishing and and uh, ransomware claims and both frequency and severity. And, and all of a sudden you have, you know, underwriters looking at MSPs like they have a, a huge target on their back because right. if, uh, a, a breach were to occur at the MSP level that bled into, you know, the hundred or so clients of the MSP, that's a, a, a systemic or catastrophic cyber risk right there that they're, they're worried about. Um, so really this whole topic uh, has, has become extremely trendy and, and, and muddy and, and uh, one that you know, needs to be taken more seriously, I think. So I'm, I'm happy to yeah, have um, NSITSP uh, also feel that way. Yep, well, I mean, 
10 years ago, we were a cash cow for the insurance companies. And now we're their major cost of, of doing business. Like they're losing money left and right. Partly because ransomware went from being $30 to being $3 million. And uh, so, you know, you, you can only pay out so much money before you decide you, uh, something else has to change. Yes. Very good. Brian Mahone from EHD Insurance. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Carl. I wanted to mention this just happened in my my ransomware group um somebody was saying you know well uh, oh was it in the ransomware group maybe it was anyway there was a post in there about insurance cyber insurance and requirements that, that their client was being asked to do and one of them was to have um endpoint detection and response system I said, well, that's easy. You just need Microsoft 365 Business Premium comes with it, right? It's it's the awesome, awesome suite. And if you're old enough, it's the SBS of today, right? It's it's where Microsoft puts all of their stuff for small business. Right. And um, so so it's got this full suite in there. And, and the response was, oh, Microsoft will go in and live people will proactively fix things for me. And like, well, for the standard, suite uh, robots will go in and automatically fix block and and remove things for you if you want live people to go in and do that there's an add-on which is really quite reasonable it's something like uh i don't know four dollars a month or something like that i mean so that whole suite is in there so if you've not poked around in your business premium licensing do so it's going to be under the security and it's part of the whole uh defender Defender Suite now. Pretty great stuff. You know, it's interesting. There has always been a market doing something that Microsoft already does. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like literally from day one. <laughs> to, and eventually the companies that it used to be the case that the companies that, that do it the best, like um, uh, Partition Magic, right? They just get gobbled up and included into the Microsoft products. <clears throat> Um, so, um, but now there's just so many other products, but, but the problem is when you go to a show and you want to learn about new products, there are nine different companies selling you something related to ransomware. Um, Microsoft is not on the stage talking about that. And so, um, unless they listen to you, they don't know that, that those features exist. Yeah, Microsoft doesn't even come to our conferences anymore. Right. Back in the day, Microsoft used to be featured speaker at all of the SMB conferences, and then they just gave it up. They don't show up anymore. So nobody knows what's in their product. That's sort <laughs> of the, the natural result of that, um, which, you know, it's fine if that's what they want to do. But um, you know, there's there's always room for other vendors to do stuff. Um, you know, they can do it as good as or maybe better than Microsoft or maybe worse. It doesn't matter. But um, there's a uh, uh, one of the one of the forever ongoing problems with Microsoft products is that um, there's a lot of manual configuration and setup because, um, you know, they have the the stance of being all things to all people which means everybody from the solopreneur to PepsiCo, right? And right. 
trying to fulfill all the needs of all every possible person. And so there's every every configuration in the world that you that somebody might need somewhere. So you well, have to be able to sort through it and decide what you need and and ignore the rest of the stuff. It's also the case that they have always assumed from day one that you have somebody who manages technology who understands technology. So even though they sell to the general public, on the small end, they've assumed from day one that you are there helping your client out. Or at the high end, that there's an entire department at Intel, HP, you know, so forth, uh, that help people out. And so um, it's okay to be, you know, to, to have a lot of tedious, you know, manual settings because you assume that somebody technical is going to be doing that. Um, but I think they do their their own clients a disservice when they sell to the public and there isn't anybody to take care of that stuff. And because, you know, one of the problems with security in general today is that everybody wants to assume that somebody else is taking care of it, right? Like somebody, oh, you know, they wouldn't put out a product that they hadn't, you know, configured properly to be as secure as possible. Well, uh, maybe. Right. Well, that's the thing with, you know, hiring, hiring an outside firm too, right? So you, so say you go, right, you buy the Microsoft product, you don't configure it, and you decide you're going to hire a third-party firm and use their product instead. Well, that's, that's all good, but who's going to take responsibility, right? It still has, still has to be configured. You still have to watch to make sure that those people are doing what they said they were going to do for you. And, you know, that it's all happening. It's not, not ever going to be a, oh, I just sent them $3. And so now I don't have to worry about what's going on with the security of my client. Right. Well, also, I, if the if the end user doesn't want to pay for it, you're like, look, you, you bought the I only monitor package. <laughs> you didn't buy the I actually configure these things and secure your network package. Right. So So back to TikTok, I do have to say, uh, the, the the fun videos are totally fine, and so the the issue with TikTok is that it's on the device, and you have by default given it permissions to access your camera, your data, your pictures, right? And then people take company data, put it on their device, and now that gets filtered through China. So there's it's it's not just that we need an enemy; it's that you know they they actually have practices that the government has documented like oh that's where the data goes um and people are not good sort of looping back they're not good at taking care of their own security which is what made me think of it no definitely that that's that is a truism um i have a client right now that is has gotten fished somewhere along the way and is going through a horrible um identity theft situation um you know bank accounts credit cards you know, social security numbers, all kinds of things being created in, in her name and her information being used to do all kinds of stuff that's kind of destroying her life. So, well, I mean, it can happen. In the United States, I highly encourage you to take the simplest step and just lock your credit accounts uh, with the big three. Um, and people cannot open accounts in your name with your social security number and so forth. People resist that saying, well, what if I, you know, sometimes at checkout, Best Buy says, hey, check this box and apply for a credit card and we'll give you 10% off. Well, you don't really need to do that. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, just a little self-control goes a long ways. They'll also call you. 
right? The credit card companies are used to that now. So, um, so if there is a lock, they contact you and say, hey, there's a lock on your account. Do you, you know, do you want to approve this, this item? Right. So, so I guess I will say that I save an awful lot of money at Home Depot by continuously opening credit cards. Do you know you can have five Home Depot credit cards simultaneously? <laughs> and they have the stupidest system in the whole world. Um, you can have five credit cards. So when something is on sale that you want something big, like a new generator for when your power goes out. There you go. You can get it on sale for 40% off and then save an additional 20% by opening a credit card that day at the register. My experience has been, and this is just, you know, the, the last few decades, that um, I, if I open one of those cards, I will not remember that I did so. And I will, if, if I get it, a bill, I will assume that it's a, um, an advertisement. I won't open it and I will throw it away. <laughs> and I will not pay it. And then I will get a the whatever $25 late fee or some such. And then I will say, well, this is totally well, a waste of time. And I, I didn't save any money in the long run. And then I close it. And uh, so I just stopped doing that. I just, you know, yeah, you, you, have, you have to be willing to work, work the program for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just fundamentally lazy. So <laughs> It actually describes a great deal of my life. So I think I think many people in technology, like we, we're in this business because we want to figure out an automated way to do everything. This is true. You know, there are um, on my uh, my third tier uh, Facebook page today, I shared a, um, some free education resources for getting Microsoft certifications. Um, because my 2023 prediction has been that this is the year that we come full circle to where you will not get a job unless you have a certification, right? That's how it was when I started in IT and we sort of, you know, got completely away from certifications. Now we're coming back around to, yeah, people actually need to, to have some evidence that they know stuff. I agree. Um, so there's some great resources over there on, on Third Tier's uh, Facebook page that you can you can check out for free. I agree with you completely. It was one of my big predictions for the uh, my State of the Nation address is that this is going to be the year that we get back to education and certification. Um, and it's going to take a long time. And there's a lot of people who don't think they need it. And people always resist and say, oh, I know somebody who blah, blah, blah. Say, okay, whatever. I, the reality is if you pass a number of exams, whether it's you know five from Microsoft, five from Cisco, five from anybody, uh, you're going to learn something and you are going to know more than I do about that subject, right? Uh, so even it's just like any schooling, even if you can't remember every bit of it, you learn how to learn, you learn where to find the information. Um, I'm shocked at how many people skip the step of checking the logs, whether it's in Microsoft products or Windows or anything else. They just like, like they go to Google and it's like, wait, you didn't <clears throat> Look at your own error logs, <clears throat> right? <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a certain level of fundamentals that you will learn while studying for a certification, and then throughout the rest of your life, you will just build on that foundation, and that that's the that's the thing that I think uh, is the value of of having that level of educational learning. 
Right. And I think a lot of people, uh, I, well, first of all, side note, uh, I think our public education system in the United States is probably the most broken thing in the United States. Um, but it results in people not liking school. And so they don't want to go back to school until they get to the point where they realize, wait a minute, if I want a real job or I, if I want to have an increase in pay uh, or I want to get my second job, I have to actually learn something. And then they realize, wait a minute, I like this school because I like this subject because I'm going to actually get something out of it. And I see the connection between A and B. Um, and, and so we've, we've got people who have been basically grown up thinking that they don't like education when it's really, they don't like the way it was done in elementary, junior high and high school. I do have distinct memories of hating elementary school. <clears throat> I didn't, uh, I don't have those memories of middle school and high school where you get a certain, your level of choice increases as you move along. Um, but man, I remember sitting in elementary school, just feeling like I was going to die waiting for people, other people to read out loud because I was a great reader. And of course, half the class was not a great reader. So it was, you know, you would have to go around the room and read the next sentence kind of thing. I just right. thought I was going to die. <laughs> well, my, when I learned my... in high school, the primary thing I learned in high school is that if you join enough clubs and you travel, uh, to you know, different contests and whatever uh, for for whether it's debate or vica or whatever. Um, if you join enough clubs, you get extra credit for never going to class. Yeah. So yep. was, it was awesome. So I agree. <laughs> then I grew up and I do a lot of teaching as part of my my day to day life. So oh well. Well, you know, but you're teaching very specific things that people want to learn, and those people get to self-select that they're there to learn that thing. And, um, you know, that's the part of education that makes it more and more interesting as you go through life. I will say, just so we don't insult the entire <clears throat> audience, my experience has been that the people who are best at self-educating are business owners. Because they literally draw a line between learn this skill, make this money, learn this skill, make this money, learn this skill, sell this product, right? And uh, so they, they're they very good. Uh, they tend to be readers or listen to Audible and and consume new knowledge. And, you know, they they actually uh, have decided that they need to educate themselves to, to take everything to the next level, um, far more than the rest of the population as a whole. That's just my observation. That will do it for this episode of the SMB Community Podcast. We would love to have your feedback, send us your questions. Uh, and I put in the notes last time, I believe that, uh, you know, hey, uh, if you got a question, just go to the, the website, smbcommunitypodcast.com and uh, send us your questions and comments. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.